have potential for P4 here, Nick, as Valtteri, so just keep pushing. So you go away for the first weekend in April, where we would have recorded our first show of April, and you completely miss out on the teams pulling their April Fool's jokes. Like, you know, calling Valtteri Bottas by the wrong name in the middle of a race. Except I wasn't messing for the first weekend of April. And I actually, that was not April Fool's weekend. Actually, you did miss the first weekend in April. I did not. No, April first was on a Saturday this year. But we, we, but we recorded. You still missed it. Everybody <laughs> delayed did... it. You missed their jokes. You missed their pranks. You know, the same kind of things that happens, you know, Lewis Hamilton at race number two when he decides to pull into oh McLaren's pit box, even though he doesn't drive for them anymore. Or that time when Williams went and decided that they were going to play, again, Valtteri Bottas, the butt of the joke, when Williams decided that they were just going to give him three tires that was the same and one that was different. Okay, but none of those were actually April Fool's <laughs> jokes. Not a single one of them. However, I'm sure that Valtteri felt the warm and fuzzies for being called by the same name as world champion Nico Rosberg. Well, you know, I'll say this. It was one of those things that as I'm sitting there and it and I'm watching a race and it happened, I went, wait, what? Did he just do that? No. <laughs> and, and, and I had to rewind to, to check that one again. And then had to, you know, poke the boy and go, did you hear what he just did? Because even the boy missed it. That was, that was um, <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, but knowing Valtteri with his ice cold thin blood, he didn't care one bit. He probably cared. He just moved on pretty quickly. Probably didn't face him. Well, just a warning. Since we missed last week, and since what tends to happen when you disappear for a weekend in the middle of the season, that's when the Formula One world blows up about something. Well, you know, I'm glad I can control the news cycle of Formula One by seeking refuge in the woods somewhere. Or in far rural suburban Ohio. Also possible. Because I don't think you were really in the woods this time. No, not this time. I was not in the woods. I was in a suburb of... I was in a suburb of a suburb of Columbus? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Well, some of the things... That, well, not some of the things. Just what we've got going this week. What we have heard this week. For starters, Pirelli has been approved which they have wanted, to get in-season tire testing. And we have oh gotten... My. This is the big story? No, it's just the first story. This is what you lead off with? I've been away for a week, and you're going to lead with tire testing? It's going to be quick. It would have been faster if you hadn't interrupted me. But you interrupted <laughs> me, so now we're just going to drag this out. This is why this show is going to go long this week. Because of tire testing. Because you interrupted me about tire testing. <laughs> I plan on interrupting you a lot this week, and tire testing is the least of your worries. Okay. Well, let's get through this really quick then. Okay. The in-season test plan for 2017. They're going to have it. April 18th and 19th, Ferrari will get one day across the two days in Bahrain. Um, in Barcelona, May 16th and 17th, between the two teams, Renault and Toro Rosso will get four days. This is important here. Truly is, because next year is the return of the French Grand Prix at Circuit Paul Ricard. Mm -hmm. Red Bull was smart. 
they managed to score four days across two different sessions, and one of these will be a wet test of tire testing at Circuit Paul Ricard. Oh, nice. So they'll get testing on that new circuit. They or, will. Not new, but returning circuit. Uh, Silverstone will get uh, Williams and Haas for four days of testing between them, July 18th and the 19th. Uh, Magni Coors will have McLaren for two days. One of those will be a wet test. Mercedes is getting one day at the Hungara ring. Barcelona, talk about unoriginal here. Barcelona is getting a, a tire test with Ferrari for two days. Mercedes gets uh, Circuit Paul Ricard in September for See, two also days. also smart. Mm-hmm. Um, Sauber and Force India are getting in on the game in Mexico. Uh, two days for Sauber, one for Force India. And McLaren will do two days of testing at Interlagos in November. And this just in, McLaren won't be able to participate in the Interlagos test because their engine won't work. Yeah, well, there's always that possibility. So that's the tire testing. Okay, we're done with that now. Are we going to go the rest of the show without talking about tires? Potentially. Okay. Did you know? No. And, and I, I would have thought that they had done this already, but it turns out that the FIA and motorsport outside of, you know, like what IndyCar does, because the IndyCar has their own Hall of Fame, but the FIA does not have an all of, a Hall of Fame. Well, where would they put it? My I mean, guess, it's not like they have Cooperstown. Well, my guess would be, because I believe the FIA's offices are in, in Paris, so my guess would be Paris alongside the, the offices. But uh, the FIA has realized that they need to deal with this. And actually, I was correct. Paris will be one. They're going to do two. One in Paris and the other in that Paragon, that place that you think of whenever you think of fine auto sport, Geneva. Geneva? Geneva. Has there ever been a race in Geneva? There probably was. Okay. All right, so are, do we get to submit our picks for Hall of Fame fun? Like, who would we send to the Hall of Fame and why? Who would you send to the Autosport Hall of Fame and why? Well, Besides the finest Formula One podcaster, that you know podcasters plural well, po podcasters and podcasts produced by us on the internet well i mean we definitely need to include the viral media that does support the f1 business okay um i think that's very important but i think that we should come up with our own very unique uh, awards like you know um bernie eccleston for the worst hair Possibly. Uh, Sir Sterling Moss for the, being the biggest womanizer. I don't know if he was. There was Jimmy Clark. There was Jimmy Clark. And that would be a very hard one to pick for the Hall of Fame, truly, because well, there was also James Hunt. That, that, and that's where I was going to go. I mean, you, you've got James Hunt is also, but possibly— See, I was going to put him for best transition from Formula One driver to alcoholic announcer ever. Alcohol. That that's the key one. <laughs> Possibly the only British uh, TV presenter to call another driver an idiot in the middle of a race. While presenting and not yes, driving. Yes. While presenting. Yes. Possibly. I mean, these are highlights or lowlights, as you you know. Lem and and let me guess. You're gonna give. 
uh, you're going to nominate David Cothard for the tightest Tight pants. pants. <laughs> <laughs> Saw that coming. <laughs> oh, that's okay. You're going to give Susie Wolf best voice. I th- well, I think that'd be kind of unanimous. Yeah. Yeah. Monisha Keltenborn, worst maths. Oh, I was thinking possibly worst ever, but you know. Well, just you know, focus on her math skills. How how to destroy a historic team? Also possible. Mm. Um, Honda should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. Oh, we're not going to go to Honda yet. Uh, we are not going to Honda yet. Okay. Honda bashing commences later. Ooh, ooh, wait! You have to give Tag Heuer the best engine that they didn't make. Okay, yeah, I, I could see that. Um, I mean, we could go on all day long. Um, For the the, mo- the winningest engine that refuses to come back to Formula One. True. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to give, like, all of the fan base of Japan best hats. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Best hats. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I think that we could definitely populate um, – I would call it the viral Hall of Fame is what I think I would call it. Okay. Um, So I would ask our listeners to think of their own nominations for the Hall of Fame uh, that possibly the FIA has not considered yet. I like that idea. Go ahead and leave that over. Either comments on the show or over on Facebook. Various categories. Yeah, Create your own category. Create your own winner. (laughs) Defend. Go. Okay, so I think one of the other big themes of this year, despite what Channel 4 says, that it's not overtaking, it is how can Liberty Media undo Bernie Eccleston's legacy? I think that is a very big theme. I think you're actually spot on with that. I mean, they seem to be systematically ripping apart at least the last 10 years of Formula 1. Mm-hmm. Well... In, in Ross Braun's latest episode of working to undo Bernie's legacy, and I know this is more than just Bernie, um, he has come out and he said that he wants uh, the team's uh, secrecy, the fact that they don't share all of their data and they don't broadcast all of their stuff and a lot of the other things that the teams hide from each other to be revealed as part of a way to boost uh, the broadcasting and fan involvement. I am not so sure how I feel about that. Well, you know, there, there's obviously there, there, there's two different pieces. To it. Yes, it, it could be data overflow and information that we don't want. But he also he points to radio broadcasts and now, airing that, those. That I'm very for. Because he even he turns around and he says that you know when Formula One rolled out. Um, broadcasting the radio messages, the teams were very much against it. They didn't want to. They didn't want not just the fans hearing that, but even more than that, they didn't want the other teams hearing that stuff because it could reveal strategies and it could mm-hmm. reveal what their plans were and what their development efforts were and what their priorities were. And when you reveal that in particular to the other teams, they can then counter those moves. Right. However, but he, when he goes back to and says, you know, we, we brought out the, the radio messages and there was a lot of the same objections to it. But the reality is, as we learned last year, everybody wants to hear that stuff. 
it, it does add interest and it adds color. So why not turn around and broadcast more about it and the, the decisions that are going into the strategy that's happening and who we pull in and when we pull in and which tires we use and all of that stuff to give the fans a greater insight into what is actually happening. But even still, there's a there's sort of a corollary to that. I think it also makes the teams get more creative about how they broadcast strategy. If you know that there are 11 other teams listening to what you have to say, you're not going to go, okay, we're bringing you in on lap 12. You're going to come up with code and things like that that also add to the interest. Yeah. Um. Because then you sit around going, well, what did multi-21 mean? Right. I mean, that's that's the, the question. And, you know, that's the important thing. You have those code words that mean stuff. And that becomes, I mean, I think, I think to, you know, as much as I love sport ball, I think to the way, um, you know, my high school had a playbook for football and my my college didn't have a football team, but I'm sure college football teams have playbooks that the players have to memorize because they shout stuff that's public that the other team can hear that says what they're going to do. And they're not, they're broadcasting what they're going to do without broadcasting what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, nobody is going to stand in the middle of a football field and tell you, okay, we're going to fake left, fake right, do this, do that, or whatever else. And I have just proven that I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> But you don't say that out loud. You say these like funky words that mean something to only how many people are on a football player team? 11? Enough. Ten. Enough. The the guys out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember from my extensive watching of football related movies that memorizing the playbook is a big deal. Yeah. And I think that that's part of this. That it could be interesting is to see how the teams um, camouflage their calls. Because the thing that people love about the radio calls aren't necessarily the strategy pieces or the, you know, you know do it's this, do that. interaction. It's the interaction. It's that call. Do you happen to have the audio, and I'm probably about to send you out, where Vettel was plugging in his iPod? And no, I, I did not. And... and to be clear, that wasn't real. But oh, yeah. Channel Four yesterday on on the qualifying, um, they had a bit of video that that they dubbed in some extra audio um, during. I think it was free practice two in Bahrain. Uh, Vettel's engine died, and they joked around that it was Vettel plugging in his iPod that caused the issue. And as he's driving around singing, uh, <laughs> driving my automobile, yeah, that it kills everything and and oh it was because he plugged in his ipod which blew up the engine and he'll go and he'll unplug oh wait that was my phone that i unplugged and yeah (laughs) (laughs) but it was cute it's that kind of stuff it's listening to the cheer at the end of the race of you know you you did this we were this and they cheer and they thank each other and then you hear vettel speaking in italian um you know that's the cool things yeah so other ways that uh Liberty is undoing Bernie Eccleston's legacy. Bernie Eccleston was very, very protective of the video. 
And we already know that, you know, the teams can, can now shoot video, and they are share, shooting and sharing a lot of video in the pit lane. Um, <laughs> the, the, and there's some interesting, some really cool stuff that, that, that the teams are starting to do now. Um, but he also, after a race occurred, unless you were a broadcaster that owned a, a special highlights package license, once it aired and you deleted it off your DVR, that race was gone. Mm-hmm. You had no access to it. Well, F- FOM has realized under the new regime that there is value in that video, and there oh, is Lord, excitement. How many years in that have we stuff. actually been saying that there's value in that video? And they're not releasing old races, and, and and I'm not calling for them to do that. And if they do, I think they sh- they should offer some kind of a pay package and make some money off of it. But what they've realized is there are moments in Formula One that p- happened years ago that people still talk about. Right. So why not turn around and make those moments accessible so that when everyone goes, well, okay, that sounded awesome, what actually happened there, they can see it. Mm. And they're actually on the uh, Formula One YouTube channel. They are releasing official videos of some of Formula One's greatest moments, some of Formula One's more shocking moments. Uh, So some of the things that's there is um, just from 2015, that moment when Fernando Alonso went flying across Kimi Raikkonen's car in Spa, or excuse me, in Austria, and almost took off Kimi's head. Mm. They've, they're airing that video. That video is available. Um, there was an incident that we've seen it in replay, and actually I think we saw it um, in response to, um, was it Kvyat's cla- crash in Russia last year, or was it one of the Toro Rosso's crashing in Russia last year where he just plowed into a wall? Um, Sebastian Buemi in 2010 in his Toro Rosso, he's driving down a track in China, hits the brakes, and both front wheels pop off. Oh. You can now see that incident on Formula One's official YouTube channel. That's very cool. Yeah, and and there's other stuff, and they're rolling out more video, but the fact that they're recognizing that we should, you know, people want to see that stuff. And it also, in truth, it allows the newer fan to start making connections with the previous races mm-hmm. um, without having to go back and watch all of them. I mean, if you could get, you know, these are the top 20 moments of Formula One that you missed because you became a fan in 2012. Wouldn't you do that? Wouldn't you want to know that? Wouldn't you want to see the iconic, you know, some iconic pasts of Hunt and Lauda um, wouldn't you want to see uh, Senna and Prost battling it out? How about, and this goes back to BBC's old intro, you think of some of the videos, the iconic moments that BBC has captured in their opening video from their last two years of coverage, mm-hmm. whether it's the um, the... The Michael Schumacher clipping uh, one of the uh, Benettons and it two-wheeling around a corner in Adelaide or the explosion in Spa um, that Sp- Steve Matchett w- knows firsthand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> some, some of those events that were in there, um, you know, yes, Jimmy Clark winning races and, and, and some of his great moments, uh, but all of the various things, the color that we saw, the, 
how about Mark Webber's car in Valencia going end over end? Yeah. I mean, the battle in Bahrain. Ah. Uh, how many times would you like to relive that race? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's a fantastic thing. Are they doing other things to destroy the legacy that is Bernie? There is other things happening. Okay. They're, they're, they're churning. But let's talk a little bit about Bernie. Because Bernie has made a resurgence in the last two weeks. I read an article that he's opened his mouth. So. He, Bernie is, has uh, made an appearance in Bahrain. And he wants us all to remember that um, while he is his title is Chairman Emeritus, he still has a presence. So, yes, we saw him in his traditional trackside white button-down shirt with the F1 logo on the collars. Mm-hmm. Because that that's the Bernie uniform, and and he he still has presence and power. The first thing we have found out, though, is that Bernie is looking into purchasing Interlagos. Interesting. Yes, uh, he's considering a bit of purchasing it from the city of Sao Paulo. Now we know that the track has had has has struggled mm-hmm. um one of the things that that has been a big issue for bernie when bernie was still running the sport actively running the sport was that he has been pushing for a wide variety of improvements to be made both on and off the track right which the the city has struggled to do and he's threatened to pull the race from so now i find it interesting that bernie is considering a bid to purchase said track well, he's made a case that they're in disrepair, so maybe he can push that he can get a bargain basement price and still make money off of Formula One by having a long contract to host the race. But then what I found was really interesting. It was shortly after hearing that Bernie is considering purchasing Interlagos for all the trouble. And, and Bernie has some very close ties to Brazil, not the least of which is his current wife is Brazilian. And, and his mother-in-law was abducted there. Yeah, well, the the family owns a couple of plantations. I mean, it, it's a very closely tied and affiliated um, family. He's got some good ties to, to Brazil. But the other thing was, you know, a day or so after hearing that bernie's considering to buy interlagos with all the troubles and all the complaining he's had about what's going on there he then turns around and says to the press that um he thinks liberty should cut the fees that promoters pay to host races (laughs) you know (laughs) the fees that that he he and the deals that he negotiated and put in place what bernie said his his exact words here the only thing that would be good for everyone would be if we charge the promoters a lot less money. I did some good deals commercially. They are paying a lot of money, and most of them, if not all of them, are not making any money. Quite the opposite. Sooner or later, I'm frightened that the governments behind them will say enough is enough and bye-bye. If we reduce the fee they pay, they could then charge less for tickets and sell more tickets. So if you want to look after the fans, that's the way to do it. Ah, Bernie, 
whatever the promoter of whatever side of the fence he's sitting on. Now, he admits that he was guilty of overcharging tracks. He, he did admit as part of this that he was guilty of overcharging tracks for Grand Prix. He said, when I convinced people to build this place, and, and he's talking about Secure in, in Bahrain, when I convinced people to build this place and all the other places, I feel a little bit responsible. I charge them too much for what we provide. So when, when they ask me things, I try to help them. Nothing to do with liberty. On my watch, we didn't deliver the show that we charged people for. Interesting. Interesting. Um, now, did you also read that he thinks that Liberty will sell F1 pretty quickly? I did not catch that. Okay, so here's the deal, and this is his rationale. He says that um, the owner of Liberty will probably not hold on to F1 because, and I quote, he didn't show up to the Austin race, which is just around the corner from him. Therefore, he doesn't care about F1. And if somebody offered him more money than he paid for it, it's just a business deal and he will sell it. Which goes in stark contrast to two things. One, Liberty spokesperson said Liberty buys things to hold on to them and has been their track record. And two, they are systematically trying to undo all that Bernie has done. Yeah. So if you weren't playing the long game, you wouldn't have Ross Braun doing the things he's doing. You wouldn't be doing these other things. This all looks like long game stuff to me. Well, let, let's also look at the fact that Liberty also owns the Atlanta Braves. Yes. Liberty also owns one of if not the largest concert promoter company in the world. Okay. And they own, they, they put on events in Texas mm -hmm. as well as everywhere else in the world. And I'm betting that the owner of Liberty doesn't go to every Atlanta Braves game. He doesn't no. even go to um, the Braves game when the Braves are in, oh, I don't know, Houston. No. I'm either. betting he doesn't go to every concert, especially every concert that's in, oh, Austin. Yeah. Nice try, Bernie. I'm just saying what Bernie said. Nice try, Bernie. But speaking of the rent's too damn high, uh -huh. word came out this past week that due to um, declining attendance and what is arguably a really crappy location, this year is the final year for Malaysia. Ah, uh, we kind of figured that. Yeah, we heard rumblings that. that they were looking to pull out. Um, and, you know, this is a track that's been on the calendar for 19 years. It was Formula One's first race in Asia out that was not Japan. Mm-hmm. Actually, let me rephrase that. It was Formula One's first race outside of their traditional auto sport and F1 enthusiast locations in Japan or in, in Asia because yeah. it was Japan. And Japan has been a big Formula One country for years upon years. Mm -hmm. But, you know, nobody ever looked up and said, Malaysia. Yeah, they're they're all over F1. Let's go there. <laughs> It, it, it was their first foray into one of those locations. Right. 
And, you know, I think some of what hurt Malaysia was sliding them around. Yeah. You know, putting them closer to Singapore, I, I don't think that helped. But the truth is, it's 60 miles away to Kuala Lumpur. It's a hike. Yeah. Um, and I guess traffic is a bear when the during rush hour, trying to get down to the track in the first place. There's not much in the way of hotels there either. So you're looking at the 60 miles. Or apparently, you do have the option of staying in the capsule hotels over at the airport. I didn't know that there were capsule hotels at that airport, but there are. Hey, you... you you could do that. And if you want a good experience of seeing what that's like, um, what was that show that Henry Winkler and... Um, oh, yeah. It was Henry Winkler and William Shatner and... Tom, uh, some football guy. Yeah. Some I, I can picture him. And, and, but, yeah. Big lumbering football guy. Um, and they did some sort of like trip of a lifetime. They bounced around Asia. Right. I, although to be honest with you, I'm not sure it made it past two episodes because it was kind of dumb. You know, and if you want to reinforce all the, the, the bad American stereotypes, never mind the fact that William Shatner's Canadian, <laughs> that was a good show for it. It was, it was not a, a particularly flattering American, uh, but show. I was kind of wondering how that they were going to pull off. Um, bringing on France next year and not go to 22 races. Right. So losing Germany next year and losing Malaysia next year, that'll take care of that problem. That'll keep us at 19 or 20? Keeps you at 20. Okay. So no Malaysia. However, and again, going back to the rent is too damn high and the government says that they're not going to pay for it, that's what happened to Turkey. Mm -hmm. Turkey, which people, dis a lot of people, dis this was apparently Herman Tilke's first track that he designed. They also say that this was the first and only track that Herman Tilke designed before he ended up in the dull and boring box. Oh. People liked the races at this track. The drivers liked the races at this track. However, the Turkish government looked at Bernie Eccleston and said, we're not going to take your pay your extortion fees anymore, and walked away. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems that uh, Chase Carey met this past week with Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, which is not how that name is spelled, but I listened to enough BBC that I know that it's Recep Tayyip Erdogan. I am so happy that you had pronounced that, <laughs> not me. Um, and Chase came away with an agreement in principle to bring the Istanbul Park Circuit back to the calendar for 2018. Ooh. Yeah. Cool. So there so now is we're a, back up to 21 races. Quite possibly for 2018. Although 2018... Yeah, is no, next year. Is next year. So that would work. That would bring us back to 21 if this happens. Nice. But then again, we're still waiting for the whole book and race. So, you know. Well, that I don't think is happening. What I don't know, and it's I have teasing. to go pull up the list, is is Istanbul Park still a grade one track or are there improvements that need to happen? They have a year. They do. And, you know, Mexico showed that it, it is possible to basically rebuild the entire track and get your grade one certification. But the question is, 
since this is not a track that has been beaten with the Herman Tilke boredom stick, mm-hmm. is he going to come back in and rectify that quote-unquote mistake? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. I, yeah, words, they fail me on what happened with Herman Tilke. I mean, people talk about, oh, it's a Tilke track, it's a Tilke track, and then it somehow that equals dull and boring, and I don't understand the excitement over it. Well, this is a um, this weekend is a Tilki track as well. Yes, it is. Which, yeah, we kind of cross our fingers and hope that it ends up working well. Well, and they talked for years. I mean, every lead up into the Bahrain uh, Grand Prix has been how boring and processional Bahrain is. And then we know two years ago it was probably the single most exciting race between. Uh, Hamilton and Rosberg going wheel to wheel for the entire race. Um, it hardly was boring. So it's possible that a Tilki track can have an exciting race, but I don't think it's a function of the track. No, it's the drivers. Um, Sujan Todd had his own say in how we undo the Eccleston legacy. He says, and, and, and this is going to come to, absolute news to you you're, you're not going to believe this revolutionary idea he says that formula one needs to shake up its revenue system in order to attract new teams really stunning <laughs> <laughs> you know he, he wants to remind us that uh Formula One is currently three teams short of its maximum 26-car grid capacity, which honestly, can you imagine 26 cars out there? Because we've never seen 26 cars on that grid. Wow. Um, has not featured that many cars in its main in its field since the middle of 1995. Whoa. Jean-Todd says, clearly we should be able to fill the empty slots, but argued, like the rest of the world, that the revenue distribution disparity was the main stumbling block. He said the only way to fill the spaces is probably by a different distribution of the revenues, which is not one FIA problem. It's a problem, but we are not involved in dealing with that. Uh Uh-huh, it's your issue. Go figure it out. (laughs) My opinion, something which I've expressed many times, Formula One is the pinnacle of motorsport, is a great show but costs too much money. We must see how we can afford to make the sport more affordable. And that's where I think he went wrong. Mm. Because... It isn't necessarily an issue of cost caps. We've said this. It's an issue of revenue distribution right. and sorting that out. And everyone is starting to recognize it. Now, whether or not it happens is a different story. But if you figure it out, you don't end up with our next story, which is word that uh, the auction of Manners Formula One equipment, the remaining stuff, is set for May. Right. Because that's a function of revenue distribution, not cost caps. Yeah. Um, if you're interested in participating in the auction, some of the things that are available, front and uh, rear wings, engine covers, side pods, wheel rims and tubs, and also their 50% scale aerodynamic model oh. of this year's car that did not run. Mm. I don't know if we could make a coffee table out of that for a living room. Depends on the height. I bet you you could. Because you put it under the glass. Right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. But you'd need, because, you know, it's not like the wing and the nose are the same height. You're going to need posts or something on the non-wing side. 
actually, what I think we should do is, is either a pair of side pods or a front wing, and you mount that on the wall. Also possible. Actually, what would be really cool is you get a pair of side pods, the front wing and the back wing, and you just mount those. No wheels, nothing else. Just, like, gaps between them mm-hmm. so that it, it's, like, bits. So to, it, to harken back to the shape of the car, but without the component. It's very arty. <laughs> I'm terrified that he just used the word arty. <laughs> um, but it, you could mount it on the wall like a huntsman's trophy, particularly if you could get one that has been broken. <laughs> you know, possibly like, you know, just a front wing on the wall, a little suspension torqued. Yeah. Um, your other option is I've been reading on Pinterest lately things that you could do with um, old tires and wheel rims to make tuffets and possibly uh, like ottomans. So we could do I that. Could see ottomans, but th- the thing is, without the tires, and they'd have to be appropriately inflated, it's not going to be a really comfortable ottoman. Well, you have to stuff it a lot. Yeah. But, you know, it's an option. It- it's a thought. Now, continuing along that theme, Bob Friendly has spoken up over at Force India. He has reiterated his desire to see cost controlled in Formula One, but he acknowledges that you don't want to penalize the top three. You, mm-hmm. you, you need the top teams there. You, you want to go and make sure that, that there is a, a desire and a willingness to do well. Yeah. Um, he said, I don't think anything can be done this season, but it can be brought in progressively. We are where we are, but if there's a willingness to make those moves and Liberty do make them, which I believe they're keen to do, then it can only benefit the sport going forward. And we've also got to be respectful of those leading teams. If they've got to cut back, we've got to do it in a way that allows them to do it in a dignified manner. It's not their fault that they're where they are. It's the process that's wrong, which it is their fault that it's where they are. They they had a successful and good engine and, and engineering program. That's the whole point. Right. <laughs> okay. But he's really, he's expressing some concern over the fact that you have, where before it was just Mercedes at the front, you now have Mercedes and Ferrari at the front with Red Bull very close to it and then everybody else. Right. And there's a significant gap between Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari and everybody else. And, you know, they were targeting that maybe they could get into third after after being in fourth this past year. And it doesn't look like there's even a prayer of that happening. And it doesn't look like there's a prayer of, of Williams pulling that off either. Right. And that's worrying. Are we going to talk about it now? Well, we're going to talk about McLaren. Not necessarily Honda yet, but we're going to talk about McLaren. Okay. The, the the media went to Zach Brown this this past week, and they said, you know, you guys are an automotive company now. That was what came out of building the garage. You build these sports cars. They're really sexy. They're really fast. They're really hot. And McLaren has even started in their sports car division, and they're building engines. So then why is it that McLaren is turning around and still fighting with this crap box from Honda when McLaren Automotives is building engines now? Okay. Zach Brown said, yeah, we're not doing that. He said, we're not doing it. What he said was, um, 
McLaren Automotive is a different business unit with some common shareholders who we work very closely with. Their engine is a McLaren engine, but the F1 team has a different set of economic priorities and ways to go racing, so that is not a conversation that we've had. What, what we can do in 10 years? Who knows? But that is not a conversation for now. We are not an engine builder. We are a racing team and a car constructor. Okay. So he says, we're not going to build an engine. But maybe if we're stuck in this contract with Honda and they keep sucking, we're not going to have a choice? I don't know. Possibly. But, you know, they've also talked to Mercedes, too. So. so once again, I feel the need to remind everybody of this very applicable quote. I really fear that they have misjudged the whole competitiveness of Formula One in its current guise. So how now has, Hon <laughs> has Honda completely misjudged the competitiveness of Formula One in its current guise? Yasuki Hasegawa, the current chief of Honda F1, because you remember, he, he only came around this past year. He actually said this year that Honda thought they're making progress in 2017 this year would be, quote, too easy. So if it was too easy, they just chose not to do it? <laughs> Here's what he had to say. As a matter of fact, we were thinking it was too easy and it was too difficult to achieve the new technology. That was my mistake. We did some good progress in the monocylinder on the dyno, but as soon as we complete the V6 engine, we had many issues. What we achieved in monocylinder is at a very good level, but when we transfer exactly the same specification to the V6 engine, it doesn't work. We are very disappointed. But it was too late that we noticed that at Christmas. After we understand the issues, this was the time we need to confirm the final specification. We needed to have some compromise. We have huge vibrations which in some areas might be a good thing, but apparently in F1 car, it's kind of bad. <laughs> good Vibrations is only a uh, decent Beach Boy song. Yeah. Um, however, Honda's new engine currently produces almost the same power. Not the same power. Almost the same power as the 2016 engine. Which translates roughly to we not made no quite progress. as much power as the 2016. We made no progress. We went backwards. The only thing I can tell is that on the dyno, we didn't have such a big issue. When we have a gearbox, drive shaft, and tire, it has some resonance. I'm not blaming the chassis. We have to realize the situation on the dyno as well. They're hoping that their update package comes into place by the Spanish Grand Prix in Barcelona. In May. Well, May's only a month away. But, I mean, they, they just confirmed. They have absolutely no idea of what it takes to compete in Formula One. And what, what's, what I've noticed in the last two weeks is that it's now gotten to the point where even the journalists are starting to turn on Honda. It's not just an ignorance or a woeful ignorance. I think it's stubbornness. To the sport. It is an outright refusal to figure out 
and advance the product. I mean, at some point you got to just throw away the old plans and say, none of this works, rethink. Well, it's not even to advance the product. It's to advance the process to advance the product. I know. (laughs) Okay. So that leads us to our next story. That is this the one that broke the internet? It, it it broke the internet. Coincidentally, when this story broke, we happened to have been on the phone talking about something completely unrelated. That I happened to have clicked on a link and and went, wait, hang hang on, what what huh what? And and I actually had to check the publish date and check the calendar to make sure that this was not just a delayed April Fool's joke. I think you have now told everyone how much attention you pay to us being on the phone with other related, unrelated matters that you were multitasking reading Formula One news. Well, I was because we were about to get off the phone and I was moving on to something else and went, wait, <laughs> what? Huh? Yeah. Now, now I know. How much attention you give me while we're on the phone. You, you knew that because I interrupted everything that was going on at that point to do this. Yeah, the, the fact that, you know, what I was saying might have been very, you know, crucially important. No. So what we're talking about was the news that broke this week that Fernando Alonso is going to miss Monaco to go race at Indy. Correct. That is the story. Now, the facts are, as we have understood them, that, and if I hear that he is a marketing genius one more time, I might just scream. I don't think that's the issue at all. But that Zach Brown teased the idea to Fernando, um, this idea that, oh, well, you know, what if we could get you a seat at the Indianapolis 500 and... Fernando really kind of digs this idea that he could be a triple crown winner because in his mind, he's already won the damn thing. I mean, that's the part that just blows me away with his story is that Fernando thinks he's won it. He could have the triple crown. He's won Monaco. Now he can go win Indy and then he'll just take a break and win Le Mans and then he'll have the triple crown. He's two jewels away from the triple crown. We all realize that, right? The thing is, though, that's not really what happened. The reality is what happened was that Zach pitched this idea as a joke. Mm-hmm. He kind of threw it out there completely not serious in the slightest while they were in Australia. Hey, have you ever thought about running an Indy car? Maybe you could win there. And, and, and Alonzo's reaction wasn't, Wow, that's stupid. It was, yeah, actually, it'd be kind of cool. I'd like to do it. And Zach went, really? And then they went to another event with Honda, and Fernando bounced it off the folks at Honda. And Zach went, really? That's how it happened. (laughs) So I wasn't exactly kidding when I said it broke the internet. It did. Um it broke the paddock. It broke the internet. It broke F1 journalists. It broke Indy. Yeah, it did that too. <laughs> so I pulled up um, 
the IndyCar stats just to see who was winning and mm -hmm. what the standings were. And, you know, congratulations to James Hinchcliffe for winning Long Beach last weekend while I was out in the woods. They have a five-story scroll at the top of the IndyCar app of the top stories of IndyCar. Mm -hmm. I just want you to know that four of the five stories, four of the five stories are regarding Alonzo driving in the Indy 500. Four of the five. Want to take a guess as to what the fifth one is? Long Beach. No. No. James Hinchcliffe returning to the site of his crash in Texas. Again? I know. <laughs> I know. It was a slow news week. I weekend. think even Hinch is going, enough already. It was a slow news week. <laughs> um, But one of the stories I am fascinated by, it was... So get a picture how this story comes together. Mm -hmm. It is the Indy car people interviewing F1 drivers for their reaction to Alonso's announcement. And how many F1 drivers going, he's an idiot? Let's, and we're just going to go through the, the top reactions here. Okay. Um, as you can imagine, they went to Lewis first. Yeah. And Lewis would like you to know that he is not interested in the Indy 500. Mm -hmm. He has no interest, but he'd like to race MotoGP. So while we're just putting out <laughs> options, he thinks that MotoGP would be the one he'd really like to race in. However, if he was going to race in a stock car series, his choice would be Daytona 500. Uh, yeah, NASCAR. I heard that. He's like, he's like, he's liking NASCAR. But this was my best, my best line out of Lewis's state statement. Um, so I would imagine it's not an easy thing to do in one go, winning mm -hmm. Indy. So it's definitely a tall order in a short space of time. But, geez, you've got one of the best drivers in the world going there. For sure, he's well, he will be the best driver in the paddock, but he won't have the experience of any of them. Mm -hmm. So that was him. Sergio Perez said, Alonso won't have a problem. Because, and this is the quote, Indy really depends on the last 10 laps. So I think he'll be really good at it. Which I think translates to Sergio saying, Alonso's only good in 10 laps. <laughs> um, Stoffel Van Dorn, Stoffel the Waffle, as it is. Um, <laughs> the unstoppable flying waffle, <laughs> the unstoppable. As, as the banner said in China. <laughs> he says that it's a very strategic race. We saw Alex Rossi win it last year. So therefore it must be. So he says, I think anything is possible. Um, Fernando is a clever guy. Hopefully he'll come back with a trophy and I'll give him a bottle of milk as well. <laughs> um, Jolian Palmer said, um, I think it's cool. Obviously something different and exciting for everyone. Um, he's, but for me, Jolian, to do it, we're in quite different positions right now. So maybe in 15 years, if I'm in a similar position then. Yeah. And uh, Kevin Magnuson, go K-Mags. I can see where it makes sense. It sounds like a really cool thing to do. <laughs> so that's the reaction of the F1 driver's to the indie world. Well, you know, there there was talk about um, Roman Grosjean taking a spin in one of Haas's NASCAR right. cars. I don't. We never heard whether or not that happened. The other comments, and I'm surprised you didn't touch on it, even though it wasn't featured in the IndyCar side. 
on the IndyCar site. Well, I figured was, we'd go into Ricardo's. The BBC talking to Daniel Ricardo and Daniel going, yeah, I really don't want to drive an Indy car because it scares me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I guess that leads us into one of the, the big objections that we heard, particularly from the BBC. They were really strong on it, whether it was Jenny Gao or Tom Clarkson or anybody else there, was that they thought it was really dumb for McLaren to provide – Fernando with this opportunity because of the increased risk and the increased danger of IndyCar. Because (coughs) arguably, compared to Formula One, IndyCar is more dangerous. There has been uh, more fatalities, especially recently, Mm -hmm. in IndyCar than there has in Formula One. And an IndyCar oval experience has increased danger. Um. Between and, and Indy, Indy on top of it being an, an oval, um, but it, things to think about. You know, Indy's got both road courses and ovals. The cars mm-hmm. get set up completely differently when they go to ovals. Yes, to the point that um, we heard it on BBC. Yeah, Daryl Franchitti talked about it, and the comment from Lewis was actually a thousand times longer than what I read. But he mentions it also. The cars are set up in such a way they are only made to go left. Mm-hmm. Which means that the few times that you actually have to take them in a straight line, they don't want to go that way. Yeah, the arrow and the steering are both set up for running on an oval, right? not going straight. And it is so precise. There is no get it slightly wrong and you can make up for it. It is get it wrong, you're in a wall. Mm -hmm. And that's the answer. And that's why I think the BBC is so down on it, is that we've seen some spectacular crashes that Fernando has been a part of. And with that, he's walked away from them. At some point, your luck does start to run out. Yeah, but I, I also go back to it's autosport. There is isn't Wh- Whether you're talking Formula One or you're talking IndyCar or NASCAR or WEC, it's autosport. And autosport as a practice is dangerous Mm -hmm. and there's a level of risk and again whether you're talking indycar or formula one it is an open cockpit experience where fernando has been in that car and had another car pass within inches of his face so he's been there and he's done that he's not going to take stupid risks he's not invincible but I also think he's not going to take stupid risks either. I mean, he, he's he's experienced at what he does. But, of course, the other piece of that comes in. And if I, I don't care what any of the pundits are saying. I do not believe that it is realistic to expect that Fernando Alonso has a even the slightest possibility of winning Indy. I don't. He's walking in with... Zero experience, A, driving an Indy car, and B, driving an oval. Okay. His only experience that he's going to get walking in the door is going to be in a simulator, and he's going to attend a race. I can drive in the simulator and attend a race, and I'm not going to be successful at IndyCar. And yes, Fernando has a lot more experience than I do, but he does not have experience doing that. You know something? You actually have more experience right this second than Fernando does because you've actually sat inside an IndyCar. I, no, I, that too, I don't count the two-seater. But it is closer to... 
<laughs> than. And for all we know, he might have actually done that at, at a plant somewhere. I, I, I don't know. Um, but Fernando will be at Barber, so if you're going to be at the, at the Barber IndyCar race, go on a Fernando hunt. If you're going to be at Indianapolis and you have paddock passes, go on a Fernando hunt. Yeah, that's the other thing I'm really curious to see. Um, because truthfully, the difference, one of those big differences with F1 and Indy is truly how accessible those drivers are to their fans. I mean, we had it, it was glaring Mm -hmm. how interesting and up close and, you know, nearly run over by Juan Pablo, you know, that happens. Yeah. But, I mean, we sat on the pit wall. Yes, we did. Literally sat on the pit wall. We went to testing and stood in one of the team's boxes. Right. And they didn't even give us a stink eye for doing it. No. No. I hunted uh, Max Chilton and Alexander Rossi down as they were headed towards their cars and said hello and chatted with them. And we are nobody. Mm -hmm. And you... You don't really see that happening on even on the, the TV. You see a lot of people, but that's the rich and famous or the press and things like that. And my understanding is, and we're going to test drive this plan, when we go to mid-Ohio, we're doing the pit walk. Yep. And we're going to go out there and do that walk with the thousands of other people that have We're going to get pictures of the cars and everything. Right. And so... Is Fernando really ready for that level of accessibility? I, I don't think that'll be as much of an issue. Now, the other thing that we should point out is this isn't just Fernando's return or, or Fernando's debut at IndyCar. This event will represent McLaren's return to Indianapolis mm-hmm. because McLaren has actually won the Indy 500, I believe it's four times. And the car that Fernando will be driving in will be a McLaren Honda. Right. So here's my theory of, of, of what's going on. I think there's a couple of things going on. Despite what everyone says that, uh, you know, this is something to just keep Fernando happy and, and, and make it likely that he will re-sign for next year because that's the question is what's going to happen next year. I don't think that it's so much that. Some of this, I think, is, yes, they're acknowledging that Fernando's out of the hunt. So give him a little bit of freedom Mm -hmm. to wander and do that. But I think from Honda's perspective, knowing that Honda for IndyCar and, and HPD and their package is a competitive package, is to be able to turn around from Honda's perspective and go to Fernando and say, look, We have the capability to do this. We can be successful in open-wheel racing. We have the capability to produce a competitive performance package. We just haven't brought it to Formula One yet. But this is the reminder that we are a team that knows autosport and racing success. And that's why they want to bring him in. But the other thing, and I think this is the play on the McLaren side, is that, again, McLaren recognizes that there is another aspect to their business than just the Formula One team, despite what Zach Brown said earlier when it came to building engines. Mm-hmm. McLaren sports cars 
has a market in the U.S. And they need to and they want to engage more in the U.S. market. And by turning around and bringing in a works indie team and possibly, oh, I don't know, maybe in the future doing a full season in indie, you raise your profile within the United States and that market for McLaren sports cars. Something that Formula One really doesn't get them. True. So that's my theory is that the other piece of this is that this is McLaren trying to make a decision as to whether or not they want to field an IndyCar team. And if they believe that they can be successful or at least competitive with an IndyCar team where the Formula One team is faltering. I think that that's got some some legs, quite frankly. I think that'll be I think that's exactly where we're going to see it it come together for them. Um, now, you might be asking yourself, one, whose seat is Fernando taking away to go drive an Indy car? Mm-hmm. So why don't you deal with that? Um, his name is Stefan Wilson. Yes. He's um, barely out of rookiness. This would have been his second Indy 500 start. He is, but there's something very key about this. Okay. Um, he is the younger brother for Owen Will- uh, of Owen Wilson. Owen... Uh, not sorry, not Owen. Justin Wilson. Ah, Justin, who lost his life two years ago at the IndyCar race at Pocono. Got it. So, I always do that. Owen and Justin. No, it's. I it's think Justin. Owen's Wilson's an actor. Yeah, no, it's Justin. Anyway, so he's taking that spot, um, and uh, Stefan is he. His comments in the the story are basically for the good of the team, for the good of the sport. I get it. So he will make his second debut at Indy 500 next year in 2018. That said, we have another seat that's open. And that's the one that's going to drive the McLaren Honda at Monaco. Well, the the other thing that we need to point out is that the car that, that Fernando will be driving, while yes, it will be officially entered as a McLaren Honda... It is actually an Andretti Herda Honda, right? which makes his teammate, Alexander last year's winner, Alexander, Alexander Rossi. Rossi. <laughs> exactly. Um, but also keep in mind that there, are, there can be up to four members of a any team because he's also got Marco Andretti as his teammate. Yeah. Um, all of that. We have now an open seat to drive in Monaco. So the most likely candidate earlier this week is Jensen Button, who had his own issue that he was dealing with. Jensen, earlier this month, um, actually I think it was the the end of March, uh, was running in an Ironman triathlon in California. He's spent a lot of time in California. Um, This was a... Ironman that would have qualified him for the Ironman World Championships in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. He ended up placing third in a race that included a 1.2-mile swim, a 56-mile cycle, and a half marathon. However, there is a part of the course, of the cycling course, where uh, the cyclists have to slow down for safety reasons. Jensen was caught speeding in that section and as a result was disqualified. 
Couldn't let that one go. <laughs> so yeah, he was disqualified, lost his podium finish, and uh, at this point has not qualified for the national championships in Chattanooga, Tennessee later this year. Well, that's good because then he will be free to go race Formula One in Monaco. Yeah, he has been confirmed as taking Fernando's seat. Um, however, one of the things that we found out is that when Jensen joins the team in Monaco, it will be his first opportunity to drive the car. Right. Um, he has turned down the offer to uh, participate in the uh, in-season testing at the end of the race weekend this weekend in Bahrain. His argument is that Bahrain is a completely different track than Monaco, so it doesn't make sense to drive the car in Bahrain. He's going to focus on simulator runs to gain the experience he needs with the car. Okay. And um, Felipe Massa thinks that's a really stupid idea. Oh, yeah. I, I kind of might agree with Felipe. I mean, like, how do you know where the buttons are going to be? The cup holders might be moved. No, it's the arrow that's more the I don't think that's really going to be an issue. I don't. Well, at least they won't have to make him a seat like they'll be making Fernando Alonso a seat for Indy. Um, they're having to fit him for a seat. No, they're going to fit Jensen. They have yeah. to fit Jensen a seat. Yeah, but they'll just use last year's seat. I mean, he at least already has a seat. <laughs> no, as, as we learned, just again, going back to, to Channel 4's coverage, thanks to Mark Weber, these are different seats. They had to reinforce them differently because the stresses were different and changed the, the weight and everything else. The seat pans are completely different. They still look uncomfortable as hell, but they're completely different. They do look very uncomfortable. So let's move but on. Lewis Hamilton says it's the most comfortable seat that he sits in. I, I've heard a lot of drivers say that, that, that as much as they because look super— completely molded to them. Yeah, they're molded to them, and they're in a position— that's designed to ease the stress of the driving. So did you have more to say about Fernando's choice? Do you think this is a good idea? Better yet, and I think this is a question I'm going to pose to you and I'm going to pose to our entire audience, and I, and, and I want to hear from you. I want to know. Will Fernando's decision, well, better yet, before I even ask that question, were you, before we had heard about this, planning on watching the Indy 500? And will Fernando's decision to participate in the Indy 500 impact that decision as to whether or not you were going to watch the Indy 500? Well, the thing <coughs> is, the Indy 500 is a conflict to Monaco. It's not. For, for race fans, it's not. They, do, they don't air at the same time. Right. So They don't air at the same time. You, you can watch the different events live without any issue. And they just happen to be on the same weekend. Same day. Same day. But but Monaco is, um, well, for East Coast time, going by where we are, it's first thing in the morning where IndyCar is mid-afternoon. Correct. So they're, they're clear of each other. And the way that weekend actually works out is if you're a seriously hardcore motor motorsports fan who doesn't care what the cars are, just as long as there's cars on a track, you start off with Monaco – then you watch, I think it's Indy, and then you go to whatever the NASCAR race is because there's a NASCAR race that weekend as well. Oh, my word. Yeah. Um, so was I going to watch Indy 500? I didn't think I was going to, mostly because I'm not a big Oval fan. Mm -hmm. um, did 
briefly consider whether or not we should look into tickets. Because mm-hmm. Indy's not that far away. It's, it's not. It's not five at all. hours. Um, but shook my head and said, nah, don't think so. Um, however, I do have my, what would be the most ultimate experience, like result of the weekend that would make me ridiculously happy, even though it would mean that uh, Lewis would would lose. If Jensen won Monaco, it would make me ecstatic. If Jensen won Monaco or even Stoffel won Monaco, the motorsports world would explode. Well, yeah. You want to talk about break the internet. Yeah. Even if they made a podium. Yeah. I mean, it is statistically possible that Jensen could, statistically, I'm not saying likely given the whole <laughs> power thing. Now, one of the arguments, I want to deviate for a second, one of the arguments about Alonso going and missing Monaco is Monaco is like the one track where engine power matters the least. Yeah. Because you don't have the speed. So it is statistically possible that Jensen could win more points than Alonso has in the season to date in that one race. Just let that wash over you for a minute. Well, yeah, considering he hasn't finished a race yet. See? But we'll get back to that. But think about it. Would that not be the most awesomest result? Especially if he loses the 500, like crashes out in the first lap. I mean, wouldn't that just be super awesome? be kind of wild. So let's move on to Mercedes. Okay. So as, as we know... There was a degree of tension at the end of the year over at Mercedes. Yeah. Especially after the final race. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if you heard the story that was going around oh, around the end of the year of Ross Braun explaining how he convinced Lewis and what he did to convince Lewis to shift from McLaren to Mercedes. Yes. About how he went to um, Lewis's mother's house and they sat down, Lewis and Ross, over a cup of tea in the kitchen mm-hmm. to discuss what was going on and, right. and, and to, to bring him over. Well, it turns out that Toto Wolf learned from this story. Toto hosted Lewis in, in the kitchen of Toto's home um, several weeks after the end of the season last year to discuss what happened. Okay. So what Toto had to say, he says, when it gets intense during a season between two drivers, sometimes things remain unspoken and not discussed. At the end of the season is a good moment where you can put everything on the table, some of the frustrations and undiscussed topics, and to reflect on them and to analyze them and to agree or find out what actually happened. There's never an ultimate truth to say somebody is 100% right or 100% wrong. So it was very important to find the cause. So they sat down and they chatted in Toyo's kitchen. He's, and he went on further to say, you know, overall, this is a learning process. You cannot on one side expect to have the most ambitious driver in the car that will score the result you are trying to achieve, and on the other side expect them to be corporate robots. Nico and Lewis, and it's the same for Valtteri, understand the huge effort that's being made behind them to deliver those cars, and they understand the responsibility towards the brand and all these people they represent. But sometimes the DNA of a racing driver is going to make him look after himself. Over four years, we had these very rare moments of a situation where there wasn't an alignment on on interest. And in hindsight, there are things that we could have done better. 
it's important to realize and develop as a personality. Nice. I should since we bring up Toto Wolf, we Asha, we have to mention. Yes. Even though I don't have the headline here, the Wolf family has welcomed the addition of a baby boy. Yes. Have they announced the name yet? Because we had great suggestions. Uh, there's been a whole bunch of suggestions that have gone out. Um, Jenny Gao was looking for suggestions uh, over on Twitter. I know Channel 4 has, has posed that it should be Jack Wolf, which I thought that was kind of the easy way out. <laughs> um, but, yes, lots of folks have mentioned that possibly Bad Wolf. Um, yeah, all of those things. But we haven't heard what the actual name is. But they have celebrated the arrival of a baby boy. And just days later, Williams announced that Claire Williams is now expecting. Yes, she's due in like October. Yeah, so we, we, that would explain why we haven't seen her at the track since, I think, like Melbourne. Well, that's been all of one race. But still, if she wasn't feeling well, you know, they're reducing her travel to accommodate her Comfort. Condition? I, comfort. I can't imagine that it's really particularly comfortable to travel multiple time zones every other week while you're pregnant. Really? You didn't do it every other week. I did not do it every other week. We did it once <laughs> as opposed to multiple times a month. No. And working... 14 plus hour days true true it is a bit of a different situation and i'm sure that she did not she does not have to ride the middle seat and coach peon uh, steerage class no she doesn't have to do that either um but while we're still talking about mercedes yes mercedes got called to the principal's office they did? They get their knuckles slapped? In Bahrain, uh, there was some concern over the, the safety and stability of their T-Wing. Uh, it's apparently fallen off their cars twice now. Most recently during, I believe it was FP1 in Bahrain, where it fell off Valtteri's car and Max Verstappen ran it over. And according to him, it caused 50,000 pounds worth of damage to the floor of his Red Bull. Interesting. Now, that being said, it is Mercedes was running it in qualifying, so I'm assuming that they got clearance on it. Toto Wolf did say you could hit it with a baseball bat and it wasn't going to fall off, which makes me wonder why did it fall off in the first place. Not enough gaffer tape. Oh, okay. They didn't, you know, it stuck on with one of those like hole and little retractable nubby things. Oh. And they didn't have it turned right to lock it in. Well, that's the reason. It, it was the IKEA screws. Yes. The toggle bolts. Right. IKEA they did bolts. not tighten them down. They didn't find the right sized Allen wrench with their yeah. IKEA T Wing kit. That's what it was. Exactly. So, a little talk about China. A little talk about China. Now, you didn't know this because you weren't around. I was in a suburb of a suburb. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But most of free practice one in China and all of free practice two in China, actually, I think there was maybe a lap that got off in free practice two in China was canceled. Canceled? Due to weather. Oh. Not because it was rainy. Not even because it was necessarily foggy at the track. But one of the requirements, and, and we've seen this before with Formula One, is that um, the medical helicopter has to be able to fly. Right. 
for all of these events. Well, in this case, it wasn't even a matter that the medical helicopter couldn't take off because it was clear to fly around the track. However, the hospital that was 20-some-odd miles away that was designated as the hospital for the event, the weather was too bad and they couldn't land. So as a result, they had to scrub those two events. You remember when we were watching the now infamous documentary Grand Prix in the Deadly Years and Mm -hmm. Jackie Stewart, Sir Jackie, mentioning that the drivers would take up a collection amongst themselves to have paramedics at the track? Yes, because uh, the event in Spa, when he ended up finally on the, the, uh, in the ambulance um, on the little stretcher with the cigarette butts rolling around on the floor of it, the driver went to a hospital that was closed right, and had to go to another hospital. So I, it's one of those, my, how far have we come comments that we've gone from, there used to be, you know, they, they barely had uh, plasters, band-aids at, mm-hmm. the, at the tracks, and now they won't have a race unless they have the designated hospital able to accept patients at a moment's notice. Well, there were closer hospitals, and there was one that was, and Formula One made some changes to make sure that the rest of the weekend wasn't delayed. The reason why that specific hospital was designated as the hospital, um, obviously it wasn't because it was closest, but it was the closest one that had the um, neurological surgery Mm. uh, and could meet that requirement to, to provide that level of care. So what Formula One did, they did two things. One, they turned around and they, they, transferred all of the equipment and doctors and everything to provide that level of care to a closer hospital. Now, the requirement is that the hospital has to be accessible within 20 minutes. So they moved it to a closer hospital. Then they also made an agreement with the local police department that should for some reason, reason the weather get bad enough that they could not fly, that they would provide a police escort for the ambulances to ensure that if they needed to to evacuate a driver to the closer hospital that they could still make it by ground in under 20 minutes. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. That's impressive. I, I had, as I watched the highlights from China, I kept hearing them go, were you hampered by the lack of practice? And mm-hmm. I just figured it was rain. I mean, because everything about China had started off in damp conditions. But... No, it, it was not that. It was because they couldn't run because they could not launch the helicopter. Well, they couldn't land the helicopter. Well, I will tell you that in my secluded state, I was actually there with a fellow F1 fan. Mm-hmm. And Sunday morning, we uh, woke up reading the story of the Chinese Grand Prix. So I had read all of the details. We couldn't watch it. Yeah. But I had all of the details read. I just did not know about the, the hospital situation. Well, did you know in reading those details that Daniel Ricardo and Sergio Perez both got reprimands from F1 for being late to the national anthem? That was not in the article. Mm. Yes, they, they, they both were reprimanded for it. This was Daniel's first reprimand. Uh, Sergio has had a couple, but Daniel got his first. Um, did you – well, actually, I showed you in the highlights uh, – the pass that uh, Sebastian Vettel pulled on Daniel Ricardo. Yes. Where there was a little bit of contact as they came through there. 
they had a little wheel to wheel. Well, it turns out that it was deliberate. Okay, I think you make this sound like it was much more dramatic than it was. Okay, Daniel Ricardo. Uh-huh. His exact words here. I was honestly a bit, and, and again, these are his words. Not, I'm, I'm not making this up. I was honestly a bit bored. So I just thought, let's bang some wheels and get the crowd excited. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't intentional, but I knew there was no harm done. A little bit of smoke for the fans. Yeah. He t- I mean, it, it was intentional. Okay, but you make it sound like, when you came to me and said that that was intentional, you made it sound like he like, tried to push Vettel off the track. He touched the wheels, made a little smoke. No, I, okay, it, it wasn't that. But by comparison to, to hear Seb. Now, if you recall from last year in, um, actually it was Barcelona when we heard this, with Daniel Ricardo in a similar incident where Seb acknowledged that if the tables returned, he would have reacted the exact same way. We heard this. If I don't avoid that, he's just going straight to my car. Honestly, what are we doing? Racing or pick Now, you thought that I was going to pull up the Russian one, didn't you? No. Oh, you, you didn't think it was that one? What Seb had to say after this one, was on the exit of turn six, it was a bit compromised with wheel spin, and I got the elbows out. He squeezed me, but we had good fun. Yeah. Very different there. I think it has to do with, like, who's involved. But I, I, I do think that way. No, because last year, that, that, that little incident, that was with Daniel also. Hmm. Well, maybe he's taking his antidepressants now. I, I think he's just happier with a car that's working. Well, yeah. But shockingly, his teammate isn't doing quite so well. No, Kimmy is not performing. And even Ferrari is looking around going, what is going on here? Because Sergio Marchionne wants to have some conversations. Ooh. Yeah, he does not think that Kimmy's head is fully in the game, and uh, he wants an attitude adjustment. Good luck with that, Finn. Uh, Sergio has had a chat with Maurizio Arriva Bene and said that uh, you need to sit down. Um, they, he doesn't think he's aggressive enough. He thinks he's distracted and he's doing other things. Wow. Yeah. Sebastian Vettel made some headlines. I don't know if you saw this also with where he decided to start the race. Yeah, he was halfway out of the box. Yeah. Um, there was uh, some controversy over that because there was a decision made not to penalize him for this. Now, that's a good point because I've been told that the race stewards have basically taken the tactic of unless there is like a major incident, they're not they're going to let the racing happen. But where the question has come around is um, it was in Japan, I think it was that. Daniel Ricardo requested specific permission to line up slightly outside of his box due to water that was there. The same event, Lewis had asked for permission and was told no. Mm-hmm. So then we have nobody knew that Seb was doing this, and it was pretty blatant. Yeah, yeah. Now, he admitted that what he was trying to do is he was trying to find a dry patch in the box. He didn't want to be lined up on the, the white lines or 
the blacked out old white lines that were in the box because those were obviously going to be slippery and compromise his start. Um, both Red Bull and several of the drivers went to the to the stewards and said, "We need a clarification on this. You you got to tell us what the deal is, because that was just out of control." <coughs> well, the stewards have acknowledged that yeah, that was probably a bit excessive, mm-hmm. and they have since warned the drivers that if they try and repeat such a performance, they will, in fact, be penalized. Now, what would end up happening, and Charlie Whiting acknowledged that he saw that Seb was was pretty far out of the box, but all he did was refer it to the stewards. The next time, what ends up happening is because a car is out of alignment, they do another formation lap, and the driver that triggered it has to start from the pits. Oh. So that's what should have happened there. Wow. And drivers have been told, don't do that. Um, Lewis says that this battle w- with Seb is going to be a career highlight. He's excited for it. Yep. I got to say, I don't think we should count too much on it just yet. Because the reality is, as we have seen in the past, is that as we get deeper into a season and Ferrari has more and more demands to develop and upgrade their car, they start to fall apart. Right. We're still really early in the season. Mm-hmm. And as we saw in Bahrain, where folks were saying, Ferrari's going to be there, Ferrari's going to be there, they weren't there in qualifying. No. Now, we haven't watched the race yet, and they may wake up and come around. But before we turn around and say that this is going to be a, a straight-on Mercedes-Ferrari fight, I think we want to wait till later in the season and see if they're still there. I think you're right. I think you're right. Now, Alonso. Back to Alonso. Back, back to Alonso. Once again, failed to score any points. Ended the race early. Now, now granted, he was running decently. He was well in the points when, when the car died. You got to wonder where this comment comes from. He called, after calling Australia one of his greatest ever drives— he called his Chinese Grand Prix race incredible. So is this that he's taking a page from the Jensen Button playbook of, I don't care how bad it is, but until I am truly crushed and destroyed and demoralized, I'm going to pitch the party line, which he's never done before. Or is something else going on? Perhaps those words don't mean the same in Spanish. Well, his argument is that, you know, We've been expecting to be last. We, the, the car, the engine sucks. The car isn't that great. We've been expecting to be last. So the fact that I was up in the points is just awesome. That That's his argument. You see the pass that Valtteri pulled off on, on Fernando, where Fernando, I mean, it, it looked like there was a 30 to 40 mile an hour speed difference. It was pretty dramatic. I don't know how you call this incredible. I think it's a matter of the difference between expectations and reality. I think that's what his point is. I also think there's some level of if he starts to call it bad, it's depressing. And, you know, it's he's maybe looking at this as his way of having some still remaining hope. 
not I, having the defeatist attitude. Well, you know, that that may be some of it, especially when, again, let's go back to he's under contract negotiations. Mm -hmm. And you got to look at what is potentially going to be available next year. Right. I'm not convinced that Mercedes is an option, despite what some people say. I'm not 100% convinced that Mercedes is an option. I'm pretty sure Ferrari's not an option, no matter what happens over there. So what other option is there? There's not a good one. I mean, it may be back to, to, to Renault. Right. Or he might, you know, move on to IndyCar. There is that possibility. I mean, it, it is a land of former F1 drivers. Mm -hmm. And there's no shortage of former F1 drivers who are in IndyCar who are willing to stand up and offer him some advice and guidance as to how to handle this. And he is once again talking WEC. I've heard it a couple times this week that he wants to do WEC again. Um, obviously, that's not going to be something through McLaren, and I don't think Honda's powering anybody in WEC. So maybe his buddy Mark will be able to set something up. Well, you know, they're besties. They are. Our last bit from China. Okay. In, instead of giving the headline, I'm just going to share the audio. Because okay. the audio, I think, is better than the headline. This would be Nikki Lauda talking to Ted Kravis over at Sky after qualifying. Well, Nikki, I'm sure you enjoyed watching that lap. That was uh, some driving from Lewis there. Did, did you think Ferrari had you? Yeah, I, I made a bet with uh, totally the 10 euros on Vettel because he really looked quick at the car. Everything was right. But Lewis, thank God, put out one of his special laps. So, so just to be clear there. Nicky was betting against his own team. Yeah, because that way he couldn't lose. <laughs> you you discount that Nicky is an absolute odds maker. He is going to play the odds, and this way he couldn't lose. If Vettel won, he got ten pounds off a of Toto. If Vettel, if Lewis won, well, his team got the first, got the pole position. He couldn't lose. Okay, yeah, I could, I could see that. <laughs> I was just amused by the fact that that Nikki, you know, laid down a bet that Seb was going to get pole. Now, granted, Nikki is a former Ferrari man. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's betting against his own team now. <laughs> I think it's much more of hedging his total bet across <laughs> the board. All right, so we've asked our audience to weigh in on several different questions. First. Talk to us and give us your nominations for your uh, positions in the Hall of Fame. Second, are you going to watch the Indy 500 because of Alonzo's defection to the IndyCar series mm -hmm. instead, instead of or in addition to Monaco? Um, what do you think of Jensen's non-practiced return to Monaco? And what would you think would be the best outcome across the board? Do you agree with me that Jensen should get more points than Alonzo has made or even better have a podium or a win and that that would be the most awesome result possible? At, at this point, I think it would just be amazing if the McLaren finished. I, I truly do. I mean, they, they have they to ha finish some race. They have to finish one eventually. So I, I think it'll be amazing if it happens uh, in Monaco. The other thing, what is your prediction? Do you, do you think that Fernando is going to win Indy, the Indy 500? 
Do you think it's possible? Well, yeah, I mean, yes, it's mathematically possible. He could win the Indy 500, but do you think that that's realistic? Personally, I think a top 10 finish is likely. Equally likely a crash sometime that puts him in a wall. I, I, I think if Fernando finishes, he, he would likely finish in the top 10. That, that's, that's where I'll put it. Um, I also don't think that it is likely that if he's involved in a collision that he triggers it. Mm. I think it, it, it's very likely that if he's going to end up in an incident at IndyCar, it's because he was scooped up in another incident that occurred. Got it. Totally possible. I think you may be right there. But uh, on that, I think we will call it a show. We will talk about Bahrain next week. Yes. Bahrain next week. So leave us your, your, your comments, whether it's over on Facebook, over at The Bloke and the Bird, or at TheBlokeandTheBird.com. But with that, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.